Please remain standing as God's word is given to us. We're going to continue our scripture reading here and actually conclude, I was reminded by Elder Mark Jury's, our three-year summer series on Genesis. So we're going to read uh, significant portions of Genesis 47, 48, and 49. So starting at 47, verse 27. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me, and he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. <clears throat> and then at verse, or chapter 48, verse 1, After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you have for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, by you, Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Now we're going to move into chapter 49, verse 1. And just a special note, this is the section where Jacob is blessing all of his sons. And we skipped much of that uh, for the sake of time except for the portions with regards to the blessing of Judah and Joseph. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel your father. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crutched, or crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from 
between their feet, his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your fathers, who will help you, by the Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife, there they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. The very word of our Lord. Please pray with me. Father God, it is good to hear from your word this morning. We are so thankful for it. We thank you how you show yourself to us through it and that it is actually living and active and relevant. And Lord, we're, we're thankful for Pastor Steve in all these years that he has faithfully wrestled and studied and taught and preached your word to us. And we're grateful for the opportunity he has to do that once again here this morning. And so Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm him with your spirit that you would give him clarity of mind and speech as he delivers your truth and i pray likewise lord that your spirit would work in our hearts and minds that we would truly be able to listen and absorb uh, what you have for us this morning and that we would go away different lord i pray this in your name alone amen please be seated thanks brother So there was one little ant that was running across the counter and one ant trap. And, and I watched and I kind of adjusted the ant trap and just watched the ant move toward the trap. Come on. You can do it. And it would kind of slow up and come on, you can do it. Finally, entered that little hole, gotcha. You know, we're, we're all doing that. We're all moving toward our death. And as I was looking over that, I thought to myself, you know, is, is God doing that? I mean, he's the creator of, 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 of all things. I mean, he gives life and he takes it away. Sovereignly, he controls everything. And so is he, you know, doing that? 
I mean, we, we all are, we're, we're all moving in that direction. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, we are all are moving toward our death. And in our story today, we watch Jacob move toward his death and then die. And the writer of uh, Genesis takes two whole chapters to describe the events of his death, so it must be important. But not only that, in Hebrews 11, which is, as you know, faith's hall of fame, there's only one thing that is said about Jacob's life. And do you know what it was? It wasn't, it wasn't Jacob and the angels climbing the ladder. And it wasn't Jacob who spent 14 years trying to marry Rachel. And it wasn't Jacob wrestling with God and getting his hip thrown out of joint. And it wasn't Jacob giving a coat of many colors to Joseph. It wasn't any of those things. It was this, Hebrews eleven twenty one. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now, maybe you don't even know that story. That story is not normally one of the ones in children's books. It seems that the most important thing in Jacob's whole life was his death. And these are the events that are recorded in Genesis 48 and 49. And to be quite honest, these chapters to me seem a little boring. I mean, as important as they must be, I guess, they seem a little boring. And we cut out a lot of the verses uh, because the reading would have been really long. But there's something important here, so let's find out what it is. Uh, we're coming to the end of our series in Genesis. Last week will be, the, will be the final week. And so turn to your notes, and our main idea this morning, found in your notes, our main idea is a question. Is your heart buried in the promised land? Is your heart buried in the promised land? Now, it seems like all of this talk about burial and death and moving toward your death and dying and ant traps and all that, that seems to be kind of morbid, morbid stuff. But actually, it should be very hopeful to us because talking about how to die actually teaches us how to live. So look at the outline in your notes. Uh, this is pretty simple, very brief outline, not too many words to fill in the blanks, but the first one is the detour. Fill in the blanks there, kids. That word is detour. Now, for those of you who live in Michigan, you know that there are two seasons, right? Winter and road construction. Winter and road construction. And don't you just love that road sign that says detour ahead, right? And it's like, okay, and am I going to be able to do this? Or you're driving along, and you've got your GPS on, and all of a sudden, the little wheels start spinning, and it goes, what's it say? Rerouting. Rerouting. Uh-oh, something's wrong here. 
I must have taken the wrong tour turn, and now I'm on a detour, and now I am rerouting. Detour ahead. Our lives are filled with them, aren't they? Life is seldom a straight line. We would like for our, our lives to go from this point to this point, and that's how we plan it, but seldom does it happen that way. Sometimes there are so many different detours in our lives that we can't even remember the original destination. Can you connect with that? I forgot where I was even going in my plan. Well, the storyline in Genesis is not straight at all. And uh, Jacob's storyline is not straight at all. As you remember, God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob about living in the promised land as a blessed people, and yet at the end of chapter 49, where does Jacob find himself? Jacob has to leave the promised land, leave the place that he's supposed to be given for a place of blessing because of famine in the land. doesn't sound like much of a land of blessing. And he has to go live in Egypt, a strange land, and at the end of chapter 47, he has been there for 17 years. Talk about a detour. That seems significant. However, Jacob's life in Egypt is actually very good. So remember that Pharaoh, because of Joseph, Pharaoh gave Jacob's family the best of the land. So they had the best of the land. And in, in chapter 47, verse 27, you can see it there, Israel, and of course remember that Jacob's name was changed to Israel, so we have Jacob and Israel. Israel settled in the land of Egypt, and they gained possession of it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Jacob had land. Jacob had a family. Jacob's son was number two the number two man in the whole Egyptian empire. Now, maybe the land that they were in, maybe they didn't really worship Jehovah, but Jacob was sitting pretty good. And he had been living pretty comfortably for 17 years. And we can kind of connect with that, I think. Living in the world, even though it is not honoring to God, can be pretty good. And it can be pretty attractive. And the things of the world really do appeal to us and our inner desires really do appeal to the things that we, that we really want. It's easy, isn't it, to, to settle in and to, and to just get comfortable. It's easy to enjoy the blessings that flow from God, but leave God out. And, and it's, that seems to work okay, for the most part. But not everything was okay with Jacob in Egypt. Not everything was okay. There was something else 
going on in Jacob. So there he was, settled in the land, things going good, but you get this sense that something else is going on in Jacob. The Lord was at work in him. The Lord was doing something. Somehow, there is this temporariness while he's in Egypt. There is this restlessness. Even though he is settled, we get the sense in these chapters of some kind of a restlessness going on in Jacob. There is something more. Egypt is not my home. This world is not my home. This is a detour to a greater destination. And Jacob, as he drew near his death, he announced, Do not bury me in Egypt. Now that is no small statement. He did not want his bones buried on Egyptian soil. He wanted to be buried with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah. He wanted to be buried in Canaan. He wanted to be buried in the land that would one day be called Israel, named after him. So he didn't want to be buried in Egypt. He wanted to be buried in Canaan. But this was not a racist thing. This was not an ethnic thing. This was not some nationalistic, patriotic thing. Nor was it some sentimental thing or, or, or a nostalgia it, it wasn't that. It wasn't like, oh, he loved the mountain, so we're going to take the ashes and we're going to spread them on the mountain. He loved the sea, and so we're going to take his ashes and we're going to spread them on the sea. He loved the cubs, and so we're going to take him and we're going to sprinkle his ashes on home plate and, and Wrigley, Wrigley Field. It wasn't, wasn't that. By the way, uh, Gene Roddenberry, you know, do you know who Gene Roddenberry is? Star Trek guy? You know where his ashes were spread? In space, yeah. Fitting, huh? So, you, you know, we have all of that. Here's a special graveyard. Here's a family thing. Here's a, it, this was not that at all. Jacob's burial instructions had to do with something that the Lord had buried in Jacob. Jacob's statement, do not bury me in Egypt, was a faith statement. It was a faith statement. And as Christians, we get this. We, you have to admit, we kind of have this, we have this love-hate relationship with the world, don't we? We love God's world. We love his creation. We love the blessings we love the beauty, we love the art, we love the music, we love going to the beach, we, we love so much of that. And we love the people. We love all kinds of people, different people, different sizes, shapes, all image bearers, and we love them. We love the world. And yet, at the same time, something's not right here. We hate our sins. We hate other people's sins. We hate the way that things aren't, 
don't work. We, we hate the fallenness. We hate the pain and all of that. And we hate the trajectory of the world without God. And like Jacob, we know that there is something more because we know that the Bible tells us that the heavens and the earth are going to wear out like a piece of, of clothing, that the heavens and the earth are going to be rolled up like you would roll up a sweater and I don't need it anymore and I'm going to put it away. So when Jacob says, don't leave me in Egypt, we get it, don't we? There is something, even as much as we love this world, there is something more that we long for. And whether you are a Christian or not, I think somehow you get this. There is something in you that there is something more than this. And Ecclesiastes says that God has set eternity in our heart. So what the writer of Genesis is doing in chapter 48 and 49 is to help us to understand that. So point number one is the detour. Point number two is the blessing. The blessing. As Jacob is about to die, he gathers his family together. And we do that same thing, right? Somebody's, gonna, somebody get re- somebody's getting ready to die and, and you get the family together and they, they all come and and we understand the importance of, of being there and of being at the person's deathbed. So we get this, a gathering of the family. But the, but the rest of the things in these chapters are a little bit strange to us, I think. There's a lot of blessing that's going on in these verses. And that's not something that we typically do. And maybe that is something that we should give more thought to. Maybe we should read passages like this and do a little bit more reflecting as we're getting older and near our death or as someone else is getting older. Maybe we should do more processing of the significance of death rather than just kind of the quick, easy way that we handle it. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. But before Jacob actually gets to the blessing then, look at what he says to his son Joseph in chapter 48, verse 3. Here's what he says. Jacob said to, to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, so Jacob's remembering back to his past, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. So do you see what Jacob is is doing here before he dies? He gives his final words to his sons and to his grandsons. And he says, let me give you a little bit of advice about how to live life. He doesn't really say that, does he? Let me, let me give you some counsel about how you can 
be successful in this world, let me give you some counsel. Uh, as, you, as, you, as you continue to live and work in, in Egypt, let me, let me give you some advice. Let me share some wisdom that I have gained after my 147 years of life. No, Jacob doesn't do any, he doesn't say anything like that. What does he do? What he does is he repeats the words of the covenant. He connects Joseph to the promises of God. And Jacob needs to do this. You see, Joseph basically has lived his whole life in Egypt. And he's a pretty important guy. So he's lived almost his whole life in Egypt. He has a very important life in Egypt. He has been raising his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, in Egypt. They were all settled in. Basically, they were living the Egyptian dream. And last week, Andrew mentioned that maybe Joseph was caught between Egypt and Canaan. Who am I, really? Am I Egyptian or am I, am I Hebrew? So Jacob picks up on that, and before he dies, he connects Joseph and his grandsons to the land of Canaan. But more than just connecting him to the land. It's more than about national boundaries. It's more than about real estate. It's more than about, okay, I don't want you to live over there. I want you to come and travel over here. And I want, it's, it's, it's more than just the land and the real estate. Jacob connects his sons and his grandsons to their, what's the language? Everlasting possession. He wants to bury their hearts in the promises. And in the verses that follow, and with all of those, those blessings, he then does the same thing for all of the family. He binds them to the covenant words that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He binds them to the promises of God. And then Jacob, what he's doing is he's saying, you know, these words, these words were given to me by God. And these words were the words that were given to your great-grandfather. And these are the words that were given to your, to your grandfather, and then now to your father. And now I am speaking these same words to you. These are now your promises. You are a people who belong to God. You are a people who have been given a name. You are the people who have been given the blessings of God. You are the everlasting possession. You are to be the people who will bless all of the world. What he's doing is he lifts their eyes above today's temporary promises that the world makes. And he lifts them to the everlasting promises that God makes. Do you see that? Are you, are you getting this? Parents? Grandparents? Are you getting this? Those of you who have influence on nieces and nephews or whatever? 
What final words do you want to leave? What final words do you want to leave to your children and your grandchildren? And don't wait until you're on your deathbed. What words do you want to leave them that you say now? Give them a blessing beyond this world. We want to lift their eyes to eternal things, to things that will never wear out. We want to lift their eyes to the eternal, everlasting possession. Now, yes, we want to teach them how to live in this world. I mean, you've got to teach them practical stuff. You've got to teach them how to live in this world. And, and, and we want to teach them to be good citizens. And we want, to teach them, we want to teach them to be fully engaged in this world. We want to teach them how to live every day to its fullest. But it is more than that. We want to shape their hearts for another kingdom. We don't want their hearts buried in the world. We want their hearts buried in the promises. We want their hearts buried in the promised land. And that's what Jacob is showing us here. Now, the rest of the passage, here's what happens next. Let me just kind of walk you through this. Verses 5 through 17, Jacob adopts Ephraim and Manasseh as his own children, so he, he, he adopts his grandsons as, as his own children, and therefore what happens by doing that, okay, Joseph in, in, in the inheritance, Joseph is now given a double inheritance, because there's two, right? He's given a double inheritance, and so what that does is he is now given the inheritance that would normally go to the firstborn. He's treated like a firstborn. So here, here was the blessing. Uh, the blessing is in 48, uh, verse 15. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life, a lifelong to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Then in verses 17 to 22, in the blessing of Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph sets Manasseh at, at his father's right hand. Manasseh is the oldest, sets him by his right hand, and he sets Ephraim at his left hand for the blessing. All right, that's the way it's supposed to go. And then, all of a sudden, Jacob goes like this, okay, he crosses the hands, and now it's like, this is probably kind of a significant ceremony, so you're sitting there and sitting back and taking it all in, and Joseph's going, or, uh, yeah, Joseph's going, this isn't right. He's, put, he's, putting, he's putting the left hand on Manasseh, and he's putting the right hand on Ephraim, and, and that's not how it's supposed to go. So he just, he just has to, 
excuse me, you're, you're, not doing that, you're not doing that right. But Jacob knows what he's doing, and that's what he says. He says, I know what I'm doing. Now, you remember the last switcheroo blessing with Jacob and Esau. You remember that? That one was done in deceit. This one is done in faith. Faith in a God who does not do things according to our expectations. He does not do things according to the way we expect it to go, but he does things according to his perfect will. Verse 21. Well, prior to that, thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Then in chapter 49, one by one, Jacob offers a blessing and a word of prophecy to the ten sons. One that is suitable to each one of them. Now we didn't print that, but, but that's all in the text. And, but it's easy to see as you're reading through the whole text that from simply the amount of, of verses that are given, that the focus is being put on Joseph and Judah. The focus is there. But he binds, he binds all of them to the promises of God, and he points all of them to the future. And that's point number three then. Fill in the blank. Number three is the future. The future. Chapter 49, verse 1 says, That I may tell you what shall happen in the days to come. Future. John Calvin writes that Jacob calls the family to bid farewell to Egypt. See you, Egypt. And he points them to the promised land. He points them to the everlasting possession. He lifts their eyes up to the future. But you know, as I was reading this, I was thinking, well, what are, the, what are these sons really getting at this blessing? What are they really getting? What they really are getting is just words. Think about that. They're just getting words. So just imagine, I mean, here's Ephraim and Manasseh, and they've been in, living in Egypt their whole life, and then, and then you got Simeon and Levi and, and all of them, and, and this ceremony is taking place, and they're probably thinking, well, yeah, I was there, and this, this wrinkled up old hand was, was put on my head, and this, I don't know, senile old man starts spouting off some words about someday this or that, and what was that all about? And what is that in comparison to what I have right here, right now, very visible, very tangible, here, good life, in Egypt? What is that in comparison to this that I have? And that is the question, isn't it? That is exactly the question. Just words? But what if those words became flesh? What if those words became 
became reality. Now listen to the blessing that was given over Judah. Chapter 49, verse 10. And let me read you Eugene Peterson's translation of verse 10. The scepter shall not leave Judah. He'll keep a firm grip on the command staff until the ultimate ruler comes. Until the ultimate ruler comes. Just words? Yeah. But just words said over a very real person, Judah, who was going to have a very real family line from Judah to Perez to Hezron, eventually to Jesse, eventually to Joseph, and eventually to Eleazar, the father of Mathal, Mathal, the father of another Jacob, Jacob, the father of another Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ, the ultimate ruler. I was sorting through some stuff, and I, and I found this. This is a gift card. And I don't know where it came from, and I don't know how long I've had it. And it's to Olive Garden and to Red Lobster and to Longhorn Steakhouses. And it's got words on it here. And you, what, you know what my concern is? What's my concern about this? Is it is this still any good? I mean, am I going to take this in and, and have my meal and go, and they're going to go, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, that's what I'm concerned about. Is it going to, is it going to lose its value? Is it, is it going to be void? See, are, are the words enough? Do the promises are they going to expire on me? I mean, these promises from way back in, in the Bible. And, are they going to expire? And not only that, what about my sins? Well, those are promises. Okay, they're promises. But what about my sins? Won't my sins kind of cancel out the promises? Won't my sins kind of lessen the promises or, or, or void out the words? Well, what if... The Word became flesh, and what if the flesh was crucified? And what if He came and He forgave my sins, and He washed all of my guilt away? What about that? See, there may be a lot of detours in life, and a lot of detours in the Bible from Genesis and all of that, a lot of detours, but there is a direct line from Genesis 48 and 49 to the words of 2 Corinthians 3.20, which says, for all of the promises of God find their what? Yes in Him. All of the promises of God find their yes in him, the very real Jesus. So what do I have to offer my kids and my grandkids? What do I have to offer them? Just 
good advice for this world, a good example, my pathetic example, memories, history, nostalgia. What do I have to offer them? I'll tell you what I have. I have the words of God. I have the promise of God. I have the salvation of God that has been fulfilled, realized, guaranteed in the very real person of the resurrected Jesus. That's what I have to offer them. I have, am able to offer them God's what? Maybe. God's sort of. God's, well, kind of. God's, well, maybe, depending on. No, I am able to offer them God's yes. Yes in Jesus. I had kind of this weird experience this week as I was working on this sermon. My office is completely empty now. And all my bookshelves are empty. Except, on one shelf... I have three urns of ashes. We're, we're having some face plates from back here engraved, and so they're residing on my, book, on my bookshelf. And it's just kind of a, a, a significant picture, you know? I mean, there was all, and, and I, I look at these people, and I think their lives were so active. They were so busy. There was so much to do, so much going on. And now, empty bookshelves. And, and, and now that's, that's all that's left. Now what? Now what? Ashes in an urn. You see, each generation has to again proclaim the promise. And each son and daughter and grandson and granddaughter has to decide, do I believe the promise? Do you? I do. Let's pray. Lord, this is, this is beyond us. We can see the stuff around us, and we may like it or not like it, but, but words, blessings, promises. Oh, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit, would you come down this morning from this passage, and would you lift our eyes to see what is real? Cause us to see eternal things. Help us to believe that and so change our lives. In the name of Jesus, the Savior, who is coming again. Amen.